Thursday, November 9th, 2017. This is Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. I hope some of you got an opportunity to watch the storytellers event put on by Got Your Six last night in Washington, D.C. It was a great event. I'm grateful for the opportunity to have attended. I'm sure you saw some of our coverage on our social media. Uh, Maybe some of you have even looked into the Storytellers X events that we've mentioned in the past couple episodes uh, and maybe in thinking of a way that you can host one in your local area. This is episode four of six of our week-long Veterans Day week podcasting series, uh, Monday through Saturday. Uh, they've all been great with the Benefits Breakdown premiere on Monday, Sebastian Younger and Phil Cly uh, following, helping us talk about storytelling. Today, we have Mika Cross from the Department of Labor, who is going to talk to us about employment, which of course is a big topic here in the veteran community. Just briefly before I get to my interview with Mika, um, I just want to point out a website that is important to know as far as as far as employment resources in for veterans goes it's uh, a website that's created by the department of labor veterans.gov it's got links there on how you can find a job how uh information on how to start your own business if you're an employer there's information on how to hire veterans and then of course uh va benefits and information as it pertains to employment services provided by va Mika Cross currently leads the the strategic communications team at the Veterans Employment and Training Service, also known as VETS. Her and I are going to talk about employment in the veteran space, resources that uh, the Department of Labor has, uh, and other just important things for veterans to know as they're transitioning and as they're as they're entering the workplace again, looking for a new career. Maybe you're maybe you're, maybe you've already transitioned out and you're thinking about transitioning careers. This information is important uh, for that as well. She is a Army veteran. She served both as an enlisted soldier and as a commissioned officer, uh, and she has a lot of great insights. Not only as a veteran, but as someone who. Um, work specifically in veteran employment. Enjoy. There are nearly 2 million women veterans who served and deserve the best care anywhere. VA is dedicated to meeting the unique needs of all women veterans. VA offers comprehensive primary care and women's health specialty care. Women veterans who are interested in receiving care at VA should call the Women Veterans Call Center at 855-VA-WOMEN or contact the nearest VA Medical Center and ask for the Women Veterans Program Manager. Visit www.va.gov slash womenvet. I dig it. All right. Uh, Mika Cross, the Director of Strategic Communications for the Veterans Employment Training Service at the Department of Labor. Uh, I th- is that the shorter version that we came up with, or did I even make that longer than the shorter version we came up with? I don't remember. It's fine. Or you could just say lead the strategic communications efforts at the Veterans Employment and Training Service for the Department of Labor, whatever you feel comfortable with. Uh, Mika, we start every interview at the same spot. We, we kick it off with learning about your decision to join the military, because that's the one thing that we all have in common. So bring us back to that decision for you. Sure. I'm happy to. Um, So I joined the United States Army as an enlisted soldier. I went in as an E2 because I actually was able to recruit somebody else I knew um, when I was about 19 years old. And I enlisted from my home state of Maine. 
um, and, you know, grew up in a small town, small town USA in a lake community, um, knew that I wanted to go and do things that were bigger than what I could have dreamed um, really had occurred in my career. And I had a mentor who happened to have worked at the National Park Service, but also was a woman veteran herself who had actually served in the Women's Army Corps. And so at a point in my life where I was young and trying to make decisions, I had about a year and a half of college under my belt. I attended the the Northeastern University School of Journalism for a little while there um, and then took a hiatus. I had this great mentor, like I said, who had served herself and uh, really recommended considering um, uniform service. And so I took her advice and took a leap of faith, decided to serve my country, see what I could accomplish, get some work experience, um, build some credit, and finish <laughs> school as well. And so, uh, yeah, that's what kind of inspired me to to join the military. Um, and I, I never looked back. You know, I had such a wonderful career. It was rewarding. And about a year and a half in um, from starting my enlistment, I was approached by my company commander at the time to consider applying for the Green to Coal Scholarship, which allows, um, if you're selected, enlisted personnel to compete and then um, actually get out of your enlistment to go and sign up as an ROTC student full time and then receive a commission owing the Army back four years at the minimum for uh, commission service. Okay, and how and um and so and so you did that. You got commissioned. I did, yeah. So yeah. I, I've, I've seen both sides. Um, I've been enlisted, and I also was a commissioned officer. And um, you know, it was an interesting time. I got my commission in the year two thousand, and um, always always served with the boys. So I was at the time my first duty station was Fort Stewart, Georgia, Rock of the Marne, Third <laughs> Infantry Division. And uh, I was an AG, Adjutant General Officer, so my background actually is in uh, personnel and supporting families and thinking about how we can support our troops both pre- and post-deployment so that they can focus on the mission when they're there. And I've always really enjoyed doing that. But after 9-11, I was a first lieutenant at the time and and got orders to the Pentagon, um, which was pretty early on in my career, not something that was typical at that grade level at the time. Um, and I worked for the United States intelligence community for several years in a joint position um, at a three-letter agency with a top-secret clearance. And it was really, really rewarding work. But that opportunity also got me exposure working in a combined environment, not just joint, meaning joint service-wise with all branches of the military, but also with a very heavy civilian base and uh, civilian contractor base. So you know, I, I really had my hands involved in a lot of different efforts and initiatives and understood the civilian personnel system, too, after coming out of that assignment. Yeah, so, Mika, one one thing I like to, to talk to veterans that served uh, during September 11 is um, what was, you know, you know in, in your part of the military where you were, tell us about the, the difference that you saw in your environment between September 10, 2001 and September 12, 2001? Well, that's, you know, it's a really important dialogue to have, I think. And, um, you know, often we hear a lot of stories of folks that were on the front lines and, uh, you know, first responders and the people that deployed rapidly afterwards. You know, I served in a support role. Um, but I think the difference for me and my perspective serving in that kind of a role 
was just the emphasis of the importance of getting it right and thinking about the service member um, as a part of the bigger picture in the sense that you had to also consider really strongly, not that they were, we weren't doing it before, but I think the emphasis really did help shift it a little bit more to supporting the whole family, right? So from the military spouse to the caregiver to even um, enabling the children to understand um, what it means to uh, have a you know parent who's deploying for any number of reasons, but after 9-11, um, really helping them feel confident and okay with their departure was a really big emphasis and a change as well. So um, we started to see a lot of emphasis on the family support infrastructure more so and really getting it right from a pre-deployment perspective, not just for the service member, but also for family members as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you have a do you have a story that you can call upon from your time in something that maybe summarizes your service or is the epitome of it or a story that uh, you just like to recall on often? I have so many of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know it's an unfair question I, to ask, but uh, you know yeah. we, we, lo- we all love hearing the the, the stories. I, I don't know. I guess I have a couple of perspectives to share. Um, hopefully, maybe it will be of value to your listeners. Um, you know, like any good soldier or, or service member, uniform service member, you know, you have to work in whatever position and capability that they put you in, no matter what, even if it's not your background, even if it's not your expertise. And I really can appreciate the kinds of experiences that I got through my time in service. So although I was um, supposed to be an expert in military personnel and work on those kinds of issues, you know, I served as a battalion maintenance officer. Um, I served as the supply and logistics officer. I helped with some of the J-2 planning. Um, I worked in the intelligence community and had to interface with writing policy and learning, as I mentioned before, civilian kind of protocols and policies and develop things around what the effects for the military community would mean in an environment like that. And so those are kinds of experiences that, you know, in the, in the civilian world, I just wouldn't have gotten at such a young age and as early on in my career as I did. And that really truly did catapult my ability to, to, I think, have a successful career in my opinion um, throughout the United States government. So although I chose to stay working for America, not in uniform, but as a public servant, um, as a federal career civil servant employee, I still feel like I contribute to, you know, the safety of this nation and protecting our resources and giving back in a really important way. And those experiences all shaped my desire to want to stay serving in that capacity when I decided to resign my commission um, in 2004 as a captain. Yeah. So what, what prompted that decision? Can you repeat the question one more time? Yeah. What what prompted that decision to, to get out? Oh, I think it was a multitude of things. I had completed my master's degree. I pinned on 04 or 03 rather at the time. Um, I was considering staying to get my 04 and beyond. Um, finished my master's degree, had a top secret clearance, and it was a good time to separate. But more importantly, I had just had my first child. And for me, um, I just didn't want to leave her at such a young age. And although I was married at the time, and of course, you know, she would have been cared for just fine. um, I felt like I could serve and continue to serve and continue driving a really important mission, but out of uniform. 
Um, and I never wanted to think about asking my troops to do something that I didn't feel 100% committed to. So I felt like when I was even thinking about that and deliberating over it, it was probably time for me to do something different. Yeah, sure. Did you, uh, and feel free to answer this uh, with whatever comfort level you have, but did you experience any sort of emotional challenge or emotional crisis when you separated? I did a lot. Um, it was a really, really hard decision. I mean, identifying for close to a decade as a service member, as a soldier, as a part of the United States Army, I mean, that's a way of life. You know, people shouldn't discount the cultural challenges that exist when you transition out of uniform and into the civilian world. For me, what was easier is that I had many different job offers, and I was very um, humbled and honored that I had opportunities like that. But again, after 9-11, it was a different landscape with regards to the job market. <laughs> and um, and so coming out of uniform with all that experience that I mentioned and currently had a top secret clearance at the time, um, I did have a lot of different choices to make when it came to thinking about my civilian career. And one of those choices had to ha- also um, existed within an intelligence agency that was a combined force. So it was familiar to me and it felt more comfortable to me to be able to transfer from my position in uniform in an agency like that to a position out of uniform in an agency like that. So the comfort level was there. And I think that's what drove my decision too. If I was making a different choice that looked entirely different from the experience that I had or the comfort level that I had when I was in uniform, I think I would have experienced a lot lot more challenges than I did. Yeah. And then, um, you know, it, it sounded like you, you had, you know, career-wise, you had things lined up and, and you were prepared for uh, that step. But, um, you know, how, how long did it take you to truly feel like you had that renewed purpose that a lot of veterans are looking for when they get out? Oh, that's a great question. Um, one of the things I can say is that while I was serving in uniform in that agency, I worked really hard to network. And I didn't network with the intent that I wanted to get something from them because I didn't know at the time when I was going to transition or if I was going to transition. You know, when I first started there, I I just was coming to to serve and do a job and learn what I had to do. Um, But I did make a concerted effort, no matter where I was, to connect with people and to learn from them. And that meant finding a mentor or a coach or even a peer-level colleague who served in different ways, whether that was a federal civilian, whether that was a contractor, whether that was a senior executive, or whether that was somebody else, but in a different service. Um, I worked really hard to kind of expand my network in that in that aspect, and also um, volunteer time. And I know that sounds a little different than probably the model of what people are used to when you serve in uniform, but I worked in an agency that really had a lot of uh, innovation and that was looking to capitalize on people's skills, talents, and expertise, regardless of the position that they were holding. I also worked for amazing leaders who would put me in front of um, really tough and hard-to-solve problems and challenges, sometimes ones that I thought I shouldn't be working on, um, to stretch my limits because they believed in me and they knew my capability. So all of those things combined led me to have a pretty successful transition um, and comfort level with it all. but back to your point, you, let me let me make sure I'm answering your question. Did I miss anything when I answered that for you? Is there anything that you'd like to 
No, I, I no, I, I, I think, uh, I think that's fine. You know, the, um, yeah, the, the sense of, um, renewed purpose. We see this, we hear this from a lot of veterans that are struggling with their transition, but even ones that land, uh, you know, Bob McDonald, former secretary, uh, for VA even admitted that even with diving right into a career. So it took him three, four years before he actually felt like he was, they had, he, until he, felt that same purpose that he did when he was in the military. And so, um, you know, I always want, even with veterans that, uh, that, uh, you know, claim to, uh, or feel like they had a smooth transition or at least a strong one, I always like to make sure we touch on that renewed purpose because I know it's, it's not as easy as just finding a job quickly, you know? It's not. And actually that's a great point. So thank you for painting the picture. Um, I love what you said about secretary McDonald's, uh, discussion about taking almost four years for that. So I actually chose the lesser of all job offers when it came to money. Um, so, you know, of course, I, I had an offer that paid me enough to pay the bills. At that time, I really didn't know what it meant, though. You know, like, financially speaking, I wish I could have prepared a little bit better for salary negotiations and thinking yeah. through those kinds of things. But um, I chose a job that I would feel connected to. And so that sense of aligning your passion your purpose and your values was really important to me when it came to the job choice. That said, I had a family to take care of. And if those opportunities that I mentioned weren't there at the time, I would have probably taken anything that would have helped sustain our lifestyle until I found an opportunity that connected me with the same passion, purpose, and values as well. Yeah. I want to, um, I don't know if this is something that you've prepared to speak on, but, uh, we can start getting into your work at the Department of Labor and maybe, um, if, if you can touch on, on how salary negotiations is a, is a, um, uh, it's, it's kind of a hurdle for a lot of veterans to, you know, when I got out of the military, I did not, I wasn't even negotiating salaries. I was just taking hourly pay because I didn't know if I didn't know if I qualified for jobs that had salaries. Right. So, um, you know, from your experience, uh, both as a veteran that transitioned to the workplace, your work at, at Department of Labor, um, what have you seen uh, as the bigger, the biggest barrier veterans have when it comes to trying to understanding their value and negotiating a salary. I can really appreciate that question because I remember going to these, um, oh, what were they called? I can't remember at the time, but it was almost like you know the hiring heroes, um, job fairs, and uh, all the different kinds of opportunities that they had at the time. I was in Washington D.C. still when I was transitioning. And I remember going to these job fairs and people would take my resume and talk to me and right away want to give me an offer and they asked me what my salary was. And I hadn't even given it any thought. It was almost <laughs> like, you know, like shooting darts in the dark blindfolded. So I would say a number and then I realized if the, if the hiring organization was quick to say, oh, that's not a problem, then I knew I shot too low. And then I would go to the next booth and maybe make it 10,000 higher and then see, see how high it went until someone had to say, mm, I'll have to consider taking this back to our manager. I, I didn't know either. Um, but one of the things I want to mention, you asked about my role here at the Veterans Employment and Training Service. And I mentioned I'm a career civil servant. You know, I worked in six federal agencies in all branches of government. I've worked in the executive department, the executive branch financial industry regulatory agencies and now I'm back home I feel like I'm back home at the Department of Labor at the Veterans Employment and Training Service and I've been here two years now and the reason why I say it's back home because because of our mission and so our mission um, the first P and the four P's that we talked about of our mission 
is to prepare transitioning service members and the families for meaningful jobs, meaningful careers in the civilian labor market. And I can't speak enough how important that is, but it's not just important to think about three, six, maybe 12 months ahead of time. It's something that we really need to start socializing throughout the entire time that you're in service because you never know when that transition might take place. It could be an event that happens while you're serving um, unexpectedly that causes you to have to get out. It might be an event that happens in your family life um, that causes you to reconsider and maybe think about transitioning. But if we're not preparing early enough, and it's just like, I, I always say this, you know, train as you fight, right? So you got to prepare early and you got to prepare often. And so at the Veterans Employment and Training Service, we actually lead three of the five days of the mandatory transition assistance program workshop that all service members must take and really should take. If you didn't, if you don't take it, please, please sign up to do it. <laughs> um, your military spouse can also accompany you to these transition assistance program workshops or go without you even before you transition. They are entitled to take it too. The one thing I say about the DOL employment workshop portion is that we are constantly keeping line and step with the most current information about trends and best practices and lessons learned that you need to know to navigate the civilian labor market. When we work for the Department of Labor, the agency, the department that effectuates nationwide employment policy, let's talk about. So the curriculum is reviewed um, all the time. It's updated constantly. There are really important optional tracks that, in, that service members can take part in. Um, we're helping to emphasize apprenticeship programs and uh, technical training tracks that will help get on-the-job experience, but also lead to higher salaries. In those programs, you also have salary negotiations, maybe interviews, mock interviews, skills and networking, developing your resume. And if there's one thing I can say was the most important piece of my transition um, before I transitioned out, it was using those services. And so although I never heard about the Veterans Employment and Training Service before I took this job, I was a consumer of it because I went through, at the time it was the Army Career Assistance Program. And I'm telling you, I made use of the, that staff all the time. So three months before I got out, I was there all the time, redoing my resume, working with the instructors taking as much um, courses and training that I could that would help enable me to have those kinds of conversations because, you know, it had been almost eight years since I was a civilian. And when I was a civilian before I was a soldier, I was 18 years old. So that looked a lot different yeah. <laughs> um, than when, you know, when I was navigating the labor market with an advanced degree. So I had my master's degree. I had my bachelor's degree. I had 10 years of work experience. I had management experience. I had labor, um, I'm sorry, leadership experience. And so learning the skills that you need to have in order to have the conversations to translate those skills, no matter what your job, no matter what your occupational specialty, and no matter what your rank is in the military is so incredibly key. So if there's anything that you could walk away from <laughs> with regards to this um, podcast or what you hear today, it's uh, you know, train as you fight, go early, go often, and take advantage of DOL employment workshop, the transition assistance program. And oh, by the way, if you've transitioned well after um, going through that, or when you did transition, if it's been a while, I don't care if you're a Vietnam era vet, you can access the employment workshop participant guide actually from Amazon. So you can download it as an ebook <laughs> on your mobile device. 
you can access the curriculum or even portions of it online. So you can take the most updated curriculum and you can access the entire participant guide online as well. You can find that on our website. Um, you can visit veterans.gov, www.veterans.gov. You could um, look at the joint knowledge online, uh, joint jointly owned, I'm sorry, curriculum website as well. Um, and then you can also look on Amazon by looking for the DOL Employment Workshop Participant Guide, and that's free for you to download as well. So one thing I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on uh, when it comes to veterans that are preparing their resume. Um, one thing that one thing that I noticed in my first few years out of the military was veterans were always harping on their leadership, and there was never any mention or uh, or. It, no one, no one really ever talked about how good of a follower they are, and 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 I think that we forget as um, we forget as veterans going into the workplace that no, not every you know people aren't always hiring to have another leader like they're looking for someone who can just follow directions and and, and execute a a plan. Um, is that something that you've noticed when you've worked with veterans? Well, you know, I don't work with veterans specifically in that role, I am not the technical expert on what you need to know to navigate that piece of it, but I do mentor a lot. Okay. (laughs) And um, I absolutely think that's a skill that needs to be translated and also communicated often. I agree with you a hundred percent. At the end of the day, you know, I don't care if you are a tinker, (laughs) if you're an engineer, if you're a truck driver, if you're a maintenance um, officer, or if you're adjutant general like I was, or maybe a JAG, you know, we need to be able to translate the skills that we've acquired throughout all the kinds of jobs and all the kinds of experiences that we've had in uniforms so that we can make it more marketable. Um, and like I mentioned before, the benefit of that transition assistance program and the curriculum and participant guide that's available for anyone and all veterans as well online um, is that it can assist with that. Now, now, you brought up a good point about being a veteran and being, you know, into your now civilian career. And so what kind of services and resources might be available for veterans who are looking to transition for the fourth time as a civilian or looking to reskill maybe into different occupation or, um, you know, maybe they are that Vietnam era vet and they're looking to go back part-time into the labor market. Well, what's really great is that we also have, an American Job Center Network. And this Job Center Network has more than 2,400 brick-and-mortar locations around the country and in U.S. territories where veterans can go visit no matter if they transitioned last month, yesterday, or 20 years ago. And they get what's called priority of service. So what's really important to know is how to find these job centers. But also, when you go into a job center, you let them know that you have served in the military because you will get priority of service. And what's nice about these job service or job centers, rather, is that you get kneecap to kneecap, eyeball to eyeball, a warm handover, training, skills inventory, and a conversation with somebody who can understand what you're looking for. And so if there's one bit of personal advice I could relay, not only is it to make sure they know um, that you're a veteran, so you can get that priority of service, but also be really specific. You know, if you're looking for a federal job, 
please make sure that they know you want to target your job search to federal jobs in this particular occupation. Let them know that you want a refresh of your resume. Maybe it's interviewing skills and maybe it's salary negotiation. Be as specific as you can when you go visit one of these job centers because uh, you'll get better quality of help if you help them understand what it is you're trying to achieve. Now, I mentioned the Job Center Network, so now I'm going to tell you where to find it. <laughs> um, what's great is there's a free mobile app called Career One Stop. So you can download this app and type in your zip code. It also has a lot of other kinds of skills, um, I'm sorry, uh, resources, including a skills translator on that app as well. It's also a website, careeronestop.org. You could visit veterans.gov www.veterans.gov, um, and you can type in your zip code and find the closest location to where you live that's most convenient for you to go in or send an email or maybe make a phone call to that job center network and get the free kind of employment resource help that, that you are entitled to. Mika, you, uh, you are bringing so many great resources and I, I, I'm learning so much about what's available. Um, I, I'm going to have to uh, listen to this at least a few times to make sure I, I get them all into the show notes for people to reference. Um, sure. Yeah, that's uh, – what What do you think – go ahead. Oh, I was going to mention I could I could send you a couple graphics if you want to add sure. anything to – you know, like a few fun shareable graphics that has like a recap of some of these on there so that would be visual ple- visually pleasing as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and anybody's listening, blogs.va.gov is where you can find uh, this podcast in the show notes with the with the graphics that Mika's talking about. Um, Mika, what what is a um, give me a skill set um, that you learned in the military that is contributing to your success today? Well, I think it's almost one that you touched on, right? It's like get the job done, <laughs> get, the, get the job done, no matter what. Um, but the other thing is uh, being resilient. And I mean that in the sense that, you know, I work for the government. <laughs> well, you do too, right? <laughs> but yeah. I work for the government. Um, if there's one piece of advice that, that I'd like to relay that I've learned, it's like, how do you navigate the no without extinguishing your fire and passion? Um, so the skills that I've learned in the military are to adapt and overcome, right? Like, keep charging, keep focused on the mission, try to get the, the job done. Well, I've noticed that in the civilian workforce, that means be really innovative, um, but still be a risk taker, with, but a calculated risk taker, meaning, you know, you don't want to put um, your organization or the mission at risk in any way, but I am fearless in my job. I care about this mission. I would do anything to make this job get done right because it has meaning and it has impact to people's lives. Um, and so for me, those kinds of skills that I learned in the military, you know, loyalty, duty, honor, but also adapt and overcome, um, I do take into my civilian work each and every day. I'm going to find a way to get things done, even when I might not have a budget or I might not have a team that might be willing to um, move towards a certain solution because they don't have the resources to do it right now. I'm going to try to do that on behalf of my leadership team. But the other piece of that is to know um, where to take direction from. And part of that is being a good follower, as you mentioned before. Um, You can't always be a leader. Sometimes you need to come in, put your head down, and get the job done. Yeah. 
make it uh, folks like you and I, especially living in the D.C. area, exposed to a lot of great veterans, a lot of great veteran organizations that are doing great things. Give me a veteran or a veteran organization that has you excited right now about what they're doing. Wow, that is a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's so um, many so many options, but you know, uh, uh, you know, feel free to pick one or two that uh, that stand out. Okay, well, I want to give a shout out to our advisory committee. So, um, in the federal government, there is a congressional mandate to have advisory committees on certain things. And guess what? The work that we do at the Veterans Employment and Training Service is one of those areas where we have an official advisory committee. And what's great about these advisory committees is they come from nonprofits, academia, industry associations. They get extremely vetted through a formal process, and they get appointed to be advisors for the Secretary of Labor. And guess what else? They make recommendations on how we can improve our programs and services and initiatives for veterans. And the report that they put together on their recommendations goes forward to Congress each and every year. So it doesn't just go to the Secretary of Labor. It informs the Secretary of Labor, but it goes to Congress. And so I'd like to give a shout out to our advisory committee who I'm going to name just a few of the members um, organizations. We have American Legion. We have VFW. We have SHRM, the Society for Human Resources Management, because they help connect from an employer perspective what we need to know to strengthen ties for the Department of Labor to work with employers who are looking to hire veterans. Um, we have the National Association of State Workforce Agencies. We have the National Governors Association. Um, we have ex-officio members like the VA. <laughs> so shout out to you guys, DOD. OPM, um, and, and Goodwill Industries even. And so this committee meets regularly at least once a quarter, and they, they invest their time. I mean, these are volunteers. They come from their organizations. They travel. Not all of them are in the Washington, D.C. area, but they are looking at every piece of our mission to make really important and strategic recommendations on how we, as a government agency, can deliver our services, resources, programs, and information to veterans better. And at the end of the day, I couldn't think of a more honorable work than, than what that committee member do. Now, if you're a member of the public and you're interested in learning more about XIDO, what's great about that is the meeting notices are published in the Federal Register Notice. And the public are welcome to attend. Um, they are able to attend those meetings. They can look at the minutes notes. They can even make a public comment if they have things for us to think about, for the committee to think about. Um, this is the public committee. This is not uh, our committee. We don't shape their opinions in any way. We lead the meetings, meaning I help set the agenda. I happen to be the designated federal officer. But you can find information on what we call ACVEDIA. That is the advisory committee on Veterans Employment Training and Employer Outreach, so A-C-V-E-T-E-O, and their members um, from our website as well, which you can find at www.dol.gov slash vets, V-E-T-S. Mika, you have brought so many great uh, ideas, resources, benefits, et cetera, uh, to my audience uh, if they didn't get, if there wasn't one thing that stood out to them, uh, I'm not sure if they were paying attention. So, uh, thank you so much for, for, for joining me, for, for providing such, uh, great resources to, uh, our audience. And most of all, thank you for your continued, continued service to veterans over at the Department of Labor. 
Well, thank you. And likewise, it was my pleasure. And thank you for your service as well. Keep fighting the good fight. VA's round-the-clock hotline can put veterans who are homeless in touch with the resources and support they earned through their military service. Call 877-424-3838. Again, I want to remind you, veterans.gov website brought to you by the United States Department of Labor has information on employment resources that you can use on finding a job, starting your own business, hiring veterans yourself, and of course, VA benefits and information. Today's veteran of the day is Army veteran Richard Wathweiler. Richard served in the 70s during the Vietnam War and in the 80s during the Central American Crisis. His decorations include three Army Commendation Medals and an Army Achievement Medal. Uh, He continues to give back to his country long after his time in service uh, as an active member of his uh, local VFW uh, and other things that he participates in his community, including facilitating and coordinating a archery competition for wheelchair games held annually in Cincinnati, Ohio. We thank Richard for his service. To read Richard's full write-up and to nominate your own Veteran of the Day, visit blogs.va.gov. That wraps up episode 59. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you've got an opportunity to listen each day this week. Uh, If it's been a little too much for you, if you're like, whoa, I can't keep up, don't worry. This is just this week, just in celebration of Veterans Day. Next week, we'll be going back, we'll be going to our two program a week schedule Mondays with uh, benefits breakdown and then Wednesdays uh, of course with the featured interview of a veteran uh, and learning about their service you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat at DEPT Vet Affairs and you definitely want to check those platforms out follow us during uh, all of our Veterans Day coverage uh, pretty much starting today Uh, today we're going to a handful events Friday, uh, going to places that are celebrating uh, Veterans Day or recognizing Veterans Day on Friday. And then Saturday, of course, Veterans Day itself. We'll be curating a lot of content, a lot of images from uh, around the country as well. So follow us on those platforms. Thank you, thank you so much for listening. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off. Yeah.